0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast.
1: I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, oh, it's lovely. Uh, I catch up with Nigel Clark of Dodgy. Um, Nigel was currently holed up in a... um, a lovely looking uh place in uh Hereford, I believe it was, and uh with chris Helm uh, of seahorse's fame and uh, the wonderful uh Mark Morris uh, of blue tones a former former guest of off the beaten track uh all sitting there writing songs together what what a lovely place that'd be to to, to hang out um and so got to chat to Nigel um about. What you know, his creative journey today, and it's uh, it's a cracking little chat, as you're about to find out. Um, before we get on with uh, the chat, just a few quick thank yous. Um, thank you to uh, Scribbus Pip and uh, all my friends uh, at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, go and explore all the other podcasts that are uh, available over there. Um, I'd also uh, like to thank Seventy Six for producing this podcast, and uh, you know, he's got his work um and has done for for most of 2020 as. Uh, as, as i'm sure many of you are aware you know the the, the the recording quality of most of your favorite podcasts has been affected by the fact that we're not really sitting in rooms with people anymore in in lovely studios We're we're recording these things remotely now over zoom so you know sometimes there's a, a little drop in the the quality of sound of the uh, you know of, of what we can get remotely but um I, you know I, I know full well that these podcasts are in uh, in safe hands with seventy six, and you, you you know you're getting the best you can get. What you're also getting um, as a, as a as a positive in this very negative situation is you're getting to hear podcasters talk to people all over the world, rather than trying to arrange for somebody to come and sit in their studio or sit in their front room and record. You know, people are now you know that the, the podcast connections are, are, are you know are global now, and so that's lovely. You know, who'd have thought? You know, at the beginning of twenty twenty, I'd be talking to you know Chuck D in New York. Uh, you know, so it, it, there's lots of positives to try and you know focus on in these negative times. And uh, and yeah, so um, thanks to 76 for, um, for for going above and beyond to produce uh, the podcast to make them as as pleasant to uh, ear holes as possible. Okay, um, if this is your first time listening to um, off the beaten track and you enjoy um, this chat with Nigel, then um, as I said at the beginning, you can listen to um, my chat with Mark Morris that, that come out very early on. Mark was one of my first guests on Off the Beaten Track. Um also spoke to uh, Nigel's bandmate Andy uh, from Dodgy as well very early on, maybe one of the first sort of twenty episodes. Um, and you can also listen to um, you know episodes as diverse as Chuck D to James Lavelle to Melanie Sear, to Spice Girls through to Maxine P Commander Abington. Oh gosh, there's there's Amanda Palmer, there's uh, Sheik, there's yeah. So th- there's a real cross section of you know lots of your favourite um, comedians, musicians, producers, DJs, actors. Go and go and have a rummage in the archives when you finish with this one, and uh, and get stuck in. And better still, subscribe because that's where uh, that's where it's at. Subscribe, and you don't have to think about it. You know every now and again you just look at your listening device and oh there's a new episode and you ain't got to worry about anything then so go and do that and it really helps it really helps the podcast Um, and if you do ever see anything um, on social media to do with off the beaten track a little like a comment a share a retweet or whatever it it all helps it really does because this is a a labor of love so if there's any opportunities for for me to grow it then um yeah I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm all over it all right I've witted on enough now you can find out about that I've also got a patreon if you want to support the podcast as well um you can find out about everything to do with that uh, um www of the beat and track that's not beat and that's beat and track right let's get back to business please enjoy off the beaten track podcast with the wonderful nigel clark it's off the beaten track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with okay we are recording and sitting opposite me today via the means of zoom nigel clark hello how you doing I'm good, thank you appreciate your time today uh, and you have a, nice. just uh, had a little chat before we've've we've, uh, we've pressed recalled and uh interested to see that you're having a little songwriting retreat uh.
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: In uh, in what looks to be a very very lovely place. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's been re- it's, We only got here yesterday,
3: so we're here till Friday. So yeah, we'd it's our second one. So we're just while the lockdown's on and we can't do very much, make advantage, take advantage of the time and sort of like let's get some songs written because the three of us want to go out together. So um, yeah, do you know? I'm obviously based around our voices mainly. So you know, let's get some new songs written. It's something exciting to look forward to. You know.
1: And that's you, Mark Morris, and Chris, uh, Chris yeah. Helm. Yeah. Very interesting to hear what of, comes of, uh, of that.
3: Yeah, no, totally. It's been really good. So we, we did we did one session in Kent uh, about six weeks ago. we got this one. And we're just going to keep doing them. You know, hopefully we'll get a, a, a load of songs and something recorded. So when, you know, I'm not even going to say when things get back to normal because I don't think there is such a thing, but... You know when gigs start happening properly again, we'll be ready to go. Really, you know. So I'm really excited about it. Anyway,
1: have you managed to do any um like uh, on the sort of solo um, side of things? Have you done any uh, sort of socially distanced stuff yet? Have you uh, have you sort of ventured into the realms of that?
3: I've got some gigs coming up, so yeah, I've got about twelve gigs coming up before this, before before Christmas. Hmm. So yeah, I'm going to be doing. A, me, Mark, and Chris did one socially distanced gig in Norwich or Norfolk in September, which was an outdoor event. And that was all right, to be fair. it was. In fact, it was good. It was really good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's different. It's different. I mean, there's, it's a lot of challenges for people these days, especially musicians, you know, obviously getting all the sort of, the you know, the uh, advice from the government saying that we need to retrain because our, our jobs are no longer viable. But then the government also funding theatres and venues. So actually, who's going to be playing at their funded theatres? With all the, the artists have gone back to the, working in bus, you know, depots and stuff like that. You know, so it's it's sort of like you know, it's a it's a weird time for musicians. But like you know, just this year, you know, I didn't even think I'd have done. You know, you'd have said to me in January, you will have done you know, twenty streamed gigs. You know, this year I'll go, what is a streamed gig? You know, now now we're all doing it and even promoters are looking at streamed gigs. I mean, there's always someone trying to make some money out of it. But you know, it was good. It was a good there was a in the first lockdown there was a good thing, wasn't there? You know, you know, a lot of artists were doing gigs for free and sort of like, you know, just keeping everyone's spirits up. It doesn't feel the same in this second sort of lockdown because it's it's a bit different, isn't it? It's like it's not you know the
1: whole country yeah it's it's, it's very strange uh Nigel I I run a, a live venue um and I've done for 28 years and that's been shut for for seven months now and uh and it's just looking at what what's available for us we didn't get any funding and and it's looking at how we can keep our venue going and like you know, what can we do and it's You know, we can do, you know, look at the idea of sort of streaming gigs, but, you know, it almost feels sometimes that, you know, are people kind of a little bit over that now? You know, when it all first happened in lockdown, everybody was streaming everything. And and I think once you got a taste of being able to go back out again and you could go to the pub and sit with X amount of friends, all of a sudden it was like, I don't want to stay in and watch a gig on my On my screen, I've been Zoom calling people all week. I want to go out and have a pint with my friends. Yeah, Uh, so it's just getting that that balance right and seeing what we can do. But you know, I I know that a lot of venues did get funding last week, but a hell of a lot of venues didn't as well. And 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 I worry about them. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: No, I mean it's a worrying time, isn't it? It's unprecedented, and it's like you know when when it's our actual lives that are being you know that can't continue as they did that's really difficult for people and it's it's hard to find things to look forward to you know Absolutely. you know and it's like people people are working still but there's really nowhere to spend money and i was just thinking you know if this lockdown continues till new year at 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve, everyone's going to be kicked out of the pub. That's going to feel a bit weird, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I've not
1: thought of that. Oh, no, you've just spoiled New Year's Eve for me already. It's only <laughs> October. <laughs> Fucking hell.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I do. I have a lot of time to think. I mean, that's a bit weird, though, isn't it? But, I mean, obviously they'll make concessions. But
1: You'd hope but, you so. Know,
3: it's, just, it's just a very bizarre situation because it's, yeah, it's a disease that man's trying to control. And we're failing b- badly, you know. And I think it's, you know, we're failing our people, you know, by putting people in lockdown and they can't work, or they're already on minimum wage and then has been t- been asked to earn sixty percent of that. It's just really unfair.
1: Yeah. So, you
3: know, it's, it's and I think that's the man side of it. That's the human side of it. You know, the illness is bad enough, but when the government start putting all these things out to the north of England, I think it's it's unfair. You know, it's not the right way to do it. We need to shelter people. You know, life's got to continue,
1: hasn't it? 100%. 100%. Should we, uh, should we talk about some records? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay. Nigel, what's the song with the greatest ever intro? Well, I had two okay. until you, last night. You can have honourable mentions, mate.
3: Well, I so my first one that I thought straight away was Lust for Life by Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Just because, you know, it's like that song that you just get up. It just boom, just boom, boom, you know, it's just, it is the greatest intro. But then last night I was with Mark and and I I thought something more me. I mean, Lust for Life was good. I was a bit of a kid when that came out, first of all, and I do remember it. But for me, probably my, I'm going to go with Sabotage by the Beastie Boys.
1: Um, Just
3: because of. You know Adam Young and just that bass. I just and I'm a bass player as well. And I remember just first hearing it. I was probably living with Mark when we first heard it, and just thinking, "That's it. That's the best thing ever." You know, just felt like our music, and it was nice to be around at that time. You know, when the Beastie Boys became the uber cool. You know,
1: it's so weird. I watched the documentary for a second time (laughs) at the weekend, and uh, have you watched it? Yeah, It's, it's it's. I mean. And I mean, one of the things that is my go-to, if I'm having a miserable day and I want something to put a rocket up my ass, sabotage Letterman every fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Yoke, just playing that bass, it's just like, ah, yeah. oh, it's, it's insanely good. And and what a band. And it, it, I've said this before on the podcast, you know, the BC Boys for me are that band that when I was, I'm 47, so when I was like 13, Licence to ill comes out, right? And it's the most yeah, that, that was my punk. That was me going and yeah. robbing V W signs and, and you know, mm-hmm. and putting them around my neck and wanting to be, you know, a tear away. And then I'm not gonna lie and say I was the Paul's boutique when it came out I wasn't. But when uh, ill communication come out, it was like oh my life. Yeah. And oh just yeah, sabotage. Oh.
3: Well we were sort of like we were sort of like um in our house, I think because I missed the first album, really. I mean, I was sort of a bit older, so I missed it. But it was Paul's boutique, and then definitely check your head. Yeah, the check your head was the album for me. Um, so yeah, and I just I don't, unfortunately I never got to see them. But you know, I think when I watched when I watched the film and read the book, we had a lot of because I was really into punk when I was a kid so my punk was punk you know and the beastie boys had the same reference points so when i uh read the book especially a lot of the bands that they were listening to back in the in the early 80s late 70s early 80s were exactly the same bands as i did and i just love their transition from from you know like the new york hip hop uh, punk scene sort of and then into hip hop and just you know being influenced by what was around them at that time you know and the thing about being mc's and not rappers because I read this thing the other day, which was like rappers talk about crime, MCs talk about positivity, and I think that's the Beastie Boys for me. Yeah, you know, they, it's not rap music. It's it's actually it's it's positive. It's always been positive.
1: It's, it's super positive, and it's and it's it's. I don't even think you can kind of pigeonhole it. It's like Check Your Head's a a, a great example. Like on that album from So What You Want to. Time for living to something's got to give. I mean, fucking yeah, yeah. hell! They're three vastly different sounding records, aren't they? All on the They're, same album,
3: and I think that's why I really, we, everyone really likes them. Is because there was a thing in the in you know there always has been a thing that you know a band sounds you know they have one hit and then they, all their songs sound the same. You know, I'm not going to mention Oasis. I just did, but you know that they you know they have an album come out and it was like all their songs were of the same ilk but as you get the beastie boys you don't know what's going to come next yeah. you know and i th- i found that, that that eclectic spirit is something that's still very very much alive now you know and i i think they were they were sort of pioneers in a lot of ways musically and for our generation definitely know?
1: and and let's not overlook the fact that they were arguably the three coolest people that ever walked the planet they always yeah. looked incredible didn't they
3: and then, yeah, and I love the uniforms that I, I just, they were one of them bands, you know, that like, I think you get them, you know, the Clash for one, um, the R.E.M. to a point where one of these bands, where you just wanted to be in that band, yeah. that group of people, I wanted to be in the Beastie Boys, and I, I'd learn to rap, no problem.
1: <laughs> Did you, Well, um you just mentioned R.E.M. there, I don't know if they're going to feature again, Um but um, did you watch the, uh, the Song Exploder documentary uh, that they've added on Netflix about losing my religion? No. Oh, no. If you get 20 minutes and you've got Netflix where you are, then um, yeah. it's 20 minutes and it's um, Buck Mills, Berry and Stipe. And like, I've got Bill Berry back and the four of them sit there at the desk and pull apart Losing My Religion. And it's Brilliant. stunning. It's oh, hearing Stipe's oh, voice that? with just the strings. Is something a yeah. bit special, like yeah, you get a chance to have a look at that. I'd recommend. Oh well, that.
3: I mean, they were a really important band for me as well. You know, especially when I sort of started. You know, I picked up a guitar. I think I sort of had an when I when I found REM. It was at the right time for me, sort of around the Document time. So and then I went to see them. I loved them. I thought they were a brilliant band up until the point and I've started listening to them again and I realised how much I love them and how good a band that I put them in the same ilk as The Clash, you know? They're, so that's how good they are. That's how good they are to me.
1: They're my favourite band by by a mile. Um I, and, and I You are yeah. Yeah. And I I, I, wow. I, di- I dipped out I dipped out at maybe New Adventures. <laughs> like, oh okay. Yeah, Monsters, there's a couple on there that I really like, but I, I think, for me, Life's Reach Pageants, where it's at, that's my fave. I love that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, anything like full Is that before
3: Document? Yeah, it's it the album before
1: it? Document, yeah.
3: It is. I used to, did I used to have that well, kind one? Of, I'm sure I did. I, knew, I do know it. Yeah, I loved them. I, I saw them on the Green Tour. They were just amazing. I mean, I'd seen you, you two about six months before, or a year before, doing the Joshua Tree, at the same venue, the NEC in Birmingham. And then I went to see REM and they played a couple of songs, just the four of them really tight together on this huge stage with mandolin. And it was just one of the most ex- brilliant experiences. And you two couldn't do that. Yeah. They were too glam, big yeah. and glam, all these visuals. But REM doing that, it was just like they sat on the end of the stage. I remember it and it was just like, this is a proper band. I love REM. I
1: think they're a great band. Yeah, that 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 mand- the mandolin tracks on Green, like my yeah. favourite REM track, is Hairshirt, and no, that right, track okay. on Green. Oh, well, I've never seen him play that. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I that. All right, track two. <laughs> First song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, mate. Right. Okay. So um,
3: this one, this one, I, I thought about it last night. It was not, I think it was 1972. I think it was a number one record for Harry Nielsen. And it was the Bad Finger song. I can't, I can't live if living is without you. So I just, I mean, even when I sing it now, or even when I do that, I have, I get emotional. It's the most emotional song ever. Um I didn't want that. Um yeah, it's the most emotional song ever. I just absolutely love Harry Nielsen's version, it was written by Badfinger from I think Wales. But uh yeah, I mean it's it's that is an emotional that is as emotional as it gets for me, really, Harry Nielsen singing that.
1: What's the emotion?
3: Um that that's a good I, I well, I think it's lost. I think it's as a child I think it's like and you don't really know something but you know that there's in there's something written in that song that you know sometimes you hear a song and your hairs on your arms go up I mean I can't I, the, when I was six years old i don't the emotion would have just been sadness, I suppose because it's in that song I think it's sadness and like just knowing feeling that a, a piece of music could make someone feel that and I loved the song. But it does make me feel sad. And hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I would. And then, the, I mean, there was another one, but these are these, this is when I was young. The other one was Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles, which I remember hearing at school uh, in Harvest Festival. And I'd never heard it before. So I would have been about five years old, so about 1971. And just hearing the lyric, All the Lonely People, I remember that having an effect on me, thinking, are the people that are lonely? Do you know what I mean? You just yeah. don't realise when you're young. So it's kind of like a coming of age or, a, you know, it's like, you know, when you ask your mom and dad the question, you know, what what happens when you die? It's one of those, yeah. you know. It's like, so, you know, are there really lonely people? You don't, you know, I didn't know in 1971 that there were lonely people, you know. But, yeah, I think, and that's the emotion. So the a, a finger one, just because it was... I didn't know anything about them. And I remember hearing it on the radio a lot because it was a number one for about four weeks and just think, no, I can't forget the scene. It's just like, even the lyrics, even the lyrics, you you get the right emotion from that song. I can't live if living is without. And I, as a six-year-old, went, I can't live if living is without you, you know?
2: Perfect.
1: Was there, aside from um, Nielsen uh, and, and, and the Beatles, Growing up when you, you know, when you was at home as, as as a young lad, like was there, was there records on at home a lot?
3: No, not really. Um, my uncle used to buy, I'm the youngest in my family. So got an older brother and an older sister. So they were obviously listening to a lot of music. My brother was five years older than me. Uh, God bless him. Um, but yes, I mean, he was into a lot of rock. My uncle, who was a, a Goldsmiths College in London who was a ballet dancer he used to bring us records so I you know I first got Transformer when it came out by Lou Reed so I listened to Lou Reed before I even got into punk so you know that was a record that was played a lot in our house but we were a massive Led Zeppelin house because because um um John Bonham went to my school he was born in the same street as well not the same street but the same area of town as me so um obviously the our neighbors were good friends of led zeppelin and stuff like that so they were a, a you know and i always thought it was a person when i was a kid led Ze- who's, who calls himself <laughs> led zeppelin but um yeah it was so redditch where i'm from is very much led zeppelin country really so i mean i was inspired by definitely inspired by him and their sort of stuff
1: okay track three Something reminds you of your time at school Oh God! This
3: is this is the difficult one because there's so many, but I would probably say, I think, in some ways, punk sort of like bought bought a few of us together. So I mean, quite a lot of my mates, and we're all into the Damned and the Clash. Um, but I would have to say uh, that would be that would be my mates, my gang. But as as in school goes, as in like you know, um, I would have to say something like um we used to have school discos you know we always have school discos so and it used to be like you know you'd have half an hour northern soul half an hour new romantic half an hour soul half an hour punk half hour, you know all this sort of stuff i
1: mean that sounds like Uh, a fucking great night
3: (laughs) it was they and we were 15 you know and like you know we were 14 15 going to the school disco taking magic mushrooms on the way you know and stuff like that um it was amazing. It was amazing fun. But I, so it was a. We were so eclectic back then. But I would have to say, I think, I think my favorite the song that reminds me most would be. Uh, I think it's got to be the Specials. Uh, and I, and I think it's got to be uh, done too too much too young. Nice. would be the song that was sort of like you know it was a message in that song about you know, you know about, be, about being young and being out with your mates and not growing up too quick. And there was a lot of kids at my school who were wanting babies and, you know, at 16, 17. And, you know, and I thought that that song encapsulated a lot for me for that time, you know, and a lot of my mates as well, you know. So we were all massively into the specials. I was a bit too much of a punk. I had a lot of skinhead mates who were all into the specials, but you know, I secretly loved the specials. You know, as I did a lot of bands, but you know, as in you know, in those days, you were quite blinkered, really.
1: Did you um? Did you enjoy school, Nigel?
3: Um, I enjoyed the social and the sporty side of it and the arty side of it. I wouldn't say I took it very seriously. I think that I have uh re. I realised that I have difficulty with attention. Uh, you know, I, I struggle with keeping my attention if there's a lot of distractions around. So in the idea of putting me into a classroom with 30 other people that are going to, you know, the, the I'm easily led or easily taken off task. So, I mean, I've learned that. That's why I work a lot alone, because I get far more done. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm naturally a gregarious person, so I like to chat as my teachers told me a lot, you know, but I, yeah, I enjoyed school for what it was, but I didn't, like, I don't have many friends from school, if you know what I mean, I, you know, I moved away pretty quickly, you know, five years after leaving school, I moved to London, so, and I do I, you know, I rarely see people from my hometown, you know, so it didn't have a massive hold on me, like, I've got some friends who have hung around with each other for the last 35 years or since school, you know, yeah. and they've had that little circle, but they've always lived in the same town and that was never me really. So I've always felt a little bit of an outsider in
1: some ways. Did you know what you wanted to be when you was at school?
3: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I, I kind of, I always thought that, I mean, I got sidetracked when I left school, I got sidetracked and went and worked in a factory, hence staying out for the summer. Um, and I worked for four years, and so I was sidetracked for a bit. And then I, as soon as I ma- realised that, you know, I could uh, I could shake off all the things that I was told that I was from school, like, you know, I wouldn't amount to anything. And I did really well in my job at Rover. And I realised that I could do whatever I wanted to do because I was capable of doing that. So, And if you're blessed with that, then you may as well go and do what you want to do. And I've never looked back since. But you can't go back either. I don't want to go back, you know. Yeah. But I think I did know. I I I sort of when I was younger, I really wanted to be a footballer. Uh, and then as I got as I got older, music became 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 my everything. It became my first love. By the time I had my heart broken, you know, it was everything. And I got my heart broken by music by you know a band splitting up when the Clash split up or Sid Vicious died. You know, you 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 lose something. I lived my life through music, and it was like and I always always have done, and I love it.
1: What's the first record you bought from a record store?
3: God. Okay, this was this so from a record store. I think the first record I bought was this is a really difficult one. I because I used to work in a record store <laughs> when I was young, when I was 14, I used to work in a record store. But I bought my first record, I think was Sham69, uh Hersham Boys.
1: All right, decent. Yeah, meant, this is meant to be I an mean, embarrassing one.
3: That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I'd, I never bought my first single I ever bought was God Save the Queen with my lunch money from my mate's older brother by the Sex Pistols, uh, which I still have. Well, I still have a version of it. Um, but yeah, Hersham Boys would be the first album I went and bought with my own money and took it home. And uh, yeah, yeah, I used to love Sham 69, I thought they were a great
1: band. Absolutely absolutely i mean talking of record shops as you know over the years from 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 dodgy to to now um how important of of independent record shops been for you
3: Uh, They, everything i thought they were the only place when i was younger that understood me or i understood them it was like you see i'm not a shopper i hate shopping i like nowadays i i look on the internet or i look in magazines what i want and i go to the shop and i specifically get it the only shop where I actually browse was record shops or music shops, but record shops, I absolutely adore them. I could spend, I just, I got so used to it working there, opening the new boxes, you know, just getting all the new singles out. I just loved it. I had, it was like I I had the dream job and I was still at school and I used to run up up there from after school and like, you know, help out. I used to skive off sometimes on a Monday when the new releases came in and just
2: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: <laughs> Quite crazy, actually.
1: Wonderful. Well, let's move forward a little bit. And for track five, Nigel, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing.
3: Right. Okay. So, so yeah, I had. I mean, I. I didn't really go, well, I used to go clubbing, I mean, we, we call it different, we, no, yeah. When I was younger, we used to go nightclubs, The nightclubs in Reddits. And I moved to London, I didn't have any money, so I didn't go out much. And then I think we moved. To, I moved to Camden and I used to go to Bagley's and places like that and did Cross, down in King's Cross. And, you know, I went to the Heavenly Social when it was, wasn't even called that. You know, we used to have our own dodgy club. So then, early 90s, I used to do a lot of clubbing. And the song that really stands out to me from that period isn't a very well-known track, but it's just one of my favourites. was Renegade Soundwave, the Left Field remix. Oh. And it's just brilliant. And it's just... I remember dancing to it in Norway. Can I get one sugar, please? Dancing to it, dancing to it in Norway uh, with Matthew... And it was just like the best song ever. And and then when I met my wife, I think that Leftfield were playing when I, the, the song when I met her. So it was like, yeah. So Leftfield would have to be in there. I mean, there's loads, isn't there? But I'd say that was always my one. If that got me, it was because it was so acid house. Yeah, brilliant.
1: Did you have your kind of your years in the sort of you know indie clubbing as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, Dodgy would just. That's what we did. When we moved to Stoke Newington, we lived in Hounslow for a while and we had the Dodgy Club and then we all moved north to Stoke Newington and so we were a bus ride away from like uh, Leicester Square. I'm talking early 90s. Yeah, there was loads. There was, um, I can't remember all the names, but like, you know, on a Wednesday night there was a Midweeker. Then there was a Camden Falcon, you know, go and see a band, then go out to another club. And it was, do you know what? It was the best time of my life. The early 90s for me were... The best time, uh, best time, um, just for everything. It just felt like there was a belief in London that you know it wasn't that expensive at the time. It was, uh, it was, you know, we were all going out to different clubs. Watching there were so many bands, you know, we were out every night. Really, to, to be honest, we were. I mean, that's why Matthew got called Ligger of the Year because he <laughs> we, he he was out all the time with me. And the thing was, we were only getting about fifty quid a week wages. We made it last seven days. We'd get in on guest lists, we'd drink people's riders, you know. Um yeah, it was brilliant. I I, I had such a ball. And then it got spoiled. It got spoiled. There was a real good belief. There was a lot of great bands around. And then the media just dumbed it all down, I thought. The enemy to be to be I, I think they ruined it. I think there was a few bands that came out that just started wearing football shirts. And just taken away from what was really happening, and it was just like I didn't want it to be massive. I didn't want to be, you know. I, I enjoyed it as it was, but then it became Britpop, you know, and it became massive, and I didn't like it then.
1: I think, uh, I think Noel Gallagher said like when he stood on stage at um, uh, uh, Nebworth, you know, have I systematically killed the indie scene? Like because I, I I'm obsessed with. 90 to sort of 94, uh, and the bands that were floating about there. And it's that era, and I've spoke about this a few times on this podcast, that get forgotten. It seems to go, like, hi- music history seems to just go, well, the, you know, it happened in the Hacienda, and then everyone went to Seattle, and then everybody went to Camden. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, no there was a shitload of bands before that. It was, and it's it like... Was- don't yeah. overlook the fact that you know fucking Jesus Jones had number one records in 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 the U, in, in America. EMF had number ones in America, and it's like Carter had number one albums. And, you yeah, know, what you know? I used what, to
3: go and see all those bands at the at the Bulling Gate. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I remember seeing Jesus Jones doing Info free at the oh. Bulling Gate next next to the Forum. You know, I remember seeing... these. It was a great time. I remember going to see Blur when they were called Seymour. Yeah. At the Bulling Gate. Everyone used to play at the Bulling Gate. And it was a shitty venue. Yeah. I used to hate playing there. But everyone used to... And it was... Uh, what's his name? Um, Matt, big Fat Guy. Big Fat Guy. It was big. Oh, what, what, it,
1: now. what, the guy from Carter? Yeah. John yeah. Fatbeast.
3: John Fatbeast, yeah. He, he used to do a lot of promoting That's there. That's right. There was there was loads of venues. I mean, we... when. I'd say from about, nine, like you said, like, probably up until about 94 was brilliant. It was just brilliant. And then the turn into 94, probably. And then that's when, I think, was it Staying Out for the Summer came out? I think, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I just thought I, thought I liked it as a sort of scene. You know, Camden Falcon was one of my favourite venues. It was my favourite to it, play all day long. Even though it was a little shithole... And the back room, and I'm still in touch with Roger, who used to run Camden Falcon. I'm still mates, he lives in Berlin now, but we're still really good mates. And, uh, you know, just to see all the bands that came through. Yeah. And I used to, I used to like sort of moonlight as he used to get me to drive to Heathrow to pick up bands from America that were playing at the Falcon. So it was like, you know, I, I really loved that time, you know, and it was like, uh, you know when we had our own van and we were doing a lot of rock, we all lived together. I think you know there was there was a lot of innocence and I loved it. I just felt that once once the um, you know by the time the Blur Oasis battle happened, it was dead. Mm. You know, I felt I felt that like that whole scene had gone and you know and like all the venues were now about money and you needed money then and it was yeah it wasn't the same.
1: Favorite song from an artist from your home county.
3: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to have to go with Led Zeppelin. Okay. Because, you know, so, um, and because of John Barnum and obviously Robert Plant doesn't live far from me. Um I've got Robert Fripp over the road and Toya, but no, nah, they don't do it to me like Led Zeppelin. So I'm going to go Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. Wonderful. I mean, I know it's an obvious choice. But I love, I just love, I mean, I'm a massive John Bonham drumming fan as well, so, but I just love his drumming and I, I think he would have be been a dream person to have in a band, any band,
1: you know. Perfect, perfect choice. Final track, and this is when you can play um, DJ Nigel, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear.
3: Oh, I to think about this one. May, uh many okay i'm going to go with um i'm going to go with i i i mean probably people don't know but on t- there's an album uh, called closing time by tom waits and it's his first album it's, bef- it's before he um you know he got influenced by the blues and he got that gruff voice going but it it's when he sings songs properly in my opinion and he he was a he, he is a brilliant songwriter so um and my favourite song of closing time is I Hope That I Don't Fall In Love With You. And I think that when I first heard it, it had such an effect on me, I needed to know why it had an effect on me. Uh, and it's one of those things you have to learn. You le- I learn a lot through music. I learned most of the skills I have through music. But one of the important things is, if, some, if you love something, if you like something it has an effect on you, find out why. So I listened and I learned that song, Hope I Don't Fall In Love With You, because I had to, because it's, it it asked me to, you know, and I love it. And I, I demand everybody listen to it and try and understand it. It's an amazing song. It's just lyrically, it's just above anything for me.
1: Wonderful. Well, I put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast. So yeah. uh, I'll add that and all the other records that we've, we've, we've spoken about on that. Um, Nigel, as we, well, I, I keep saying as we find ourselves hopefully coming out of this uh, weird time we're in, um, let's stay positive and, 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 and keep thinking that way. Um, as, as, as we do, um, what are you looking forward to um, personally um, and what have you got coming up professionally?
3: um i've got well i've got a couple of things actually Professionally, so professional personally i'm looking forward to getting so i can go back to work again and i and all of us can go back to work and we can sort of you know get back out there again that's really really personal to me and i want to do that for all my friends that work in the industry you know all the people i've built relationships with over the years venues gigs fans you know i miss everybody i think we all miss everybody Professionally, I've got an album coming out called "Make Believe Love." That's dropping on the fourth of December. It's an album that I recorded originally in the year two thousand. Um, I, I worked with it on it for a year with a band I, I sort of put together in Birmingham. Uh, I ran out of money back in two thousand. I never got around to putting it out. And then during the lockdown, I was I was working on a solo album, and I just thought, look, you know, just put that album out just do it, rather than just hang on to it. So with some help from my friend Simon, we managed to be able to get it onto Pink Vinyl, beginning CDs. I'm really excited about people hearing that. And I mean, it does, the first single, Don't Be Denied, does deal with the fact of the Britpop balloon bursting, you know, so it does deal with that whole sort of like, you know, that what we've just been talking about, the early 90s scene, which was brilliant, which was do it yourself, and then it got taken over by the mainstream media, you know? Um, and on a, on a, obviously, professional basis, I'm really looking forward to what me, Mark, and Chris are going to be doing. Um, we've written some great songs. We keep, we're here now, now, for four days, so hopefully we're going to get another big bunch of songs together. And that's really, I, I think people need to know that, that something's going on. We've got things to look forward to. One of the things I really miss is putting things in the diary.
0: Yeah. I
3: like to have things to look forward to. I like to go, oh, in May, I'm going on holiday haven't been able to do that this year and it's left me a little bit a little bit lost you know and so working with Mark and Chris has sort of like put a, an imaginary date on some future diary and I feel that like something's happening you know so it's very positive I feel really good about that
1: oh I look forward to hearing that yeah um, man Nigel it's been an absolute pleasure chatting thank you so thank much you, for mate. your time today and uh, and I'll let you get back to to Mark and Chris to go and uh, <laughs> to write some bangers mate The breakfast
3: thank you <laughs> um,
1: there you go. Oh, I wanted to stick about I wanted to stick about and hear uh, hear what music was being made in that house. And, uh, yeah, what a wonderful place to be, sitting there with M3, just uh, cranking out ideas. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Um, thanks loads to Nigel for giving up his time. Um, as mentioned at the beginning, if you enjoyed this episode, then um, go and uh, have a rummage in the archives. Go and listen to the episode with Mark Morris. Go and listen to the episode with um, Nigel's uh, uh, dodgy bandmate, um, uh, Andy, and uh, and yeah, and go and have an explore of the 170 episodes with a multitude of your famous uh, actors, artists, DJs, producers, comedians. Go go and have a little rummage around and see what you can find, and uh, and have a listen. And uh, and as mentioned at the beginning, any kind of subscribing uh, on iTunes or or a like, love, share, retweet, and all of that on the socials, it all helps. And uh, yeah. All right, I'm done. Anything else you need to know about the podcast and where you can support on Patreon or anything else, track not beaten, Stay safe, lovely people. See you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track Podcast. On the
2: Distraction Pieces Network, keep me stew with him.